Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. We're going to Matthew chapter 3. We'll start in verse 16. And again, if you want to stick around afterwards today, the, I don't know if the fire truck will still be out there or not with pictures, um, but feel free to stick around. Starting in verse 16 of chapter 3 of Matthew, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus led by the Spirit into the desert. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. This is the word of God. So Father, we come in this moment and we just say thank you. Thank you for just being our good, good Father. Thank you for your word that transforms our heart. I pray, God, as Jeremy comes to share that we would get this. This is really a really important message for every person who calls you Lord, for every person that's searching. And so we come with earnest hearts and we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You can have a seat. Before I get into my message this morning, I want to take a moment to celebrate. As some of you are aware, this weekend is Juneteenth. Juneteenth is celebrated today and tomorrow. It marks the day that the Emancipation Proclamation finally made its way to Texas, 1865, on June 19th. And for some people, they say, well, you know, that's a political thing, or that's, but as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, there's some things that are political and there's some things that aren't. See, you and I are the people of God who have been set free. You and I have been set free, and this is a day that we celebrate freedom. That's what happened in that moment. The people in Galveston, Texas, heard they were free. If we, of all people, don't celebrate when freedom shows up, something's wrong. So I don't know what political bent you have, if you don't agree with it, and I'm not endorsing anything else, protests and politics. I'm simply saying free people... Free people. And free people don't just free people, they celebrate when people are free. Can you get it? You say, well, wait a second, I don't know if I like this. Good. Uh, Just a little while ago, you sang a song. That song said that you and I, if we believe Romans, were slaves to sin. And if I read the book of Acts properly, I recognize that the apostles had no intention to preach the gospel to the Gentiles until the Holy Spirit intervened. Which means that you and I, most of us, would never have heard the gospel. But the gospel shows up, the good news shows up, and it sets you and I free because someone, by the sacrifice of their blood, set us free. 
If you and I are slaves to sin, we are freed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate freedom because we're all free. So if you can't celebrate this day, I'm challenging you because the first Juneteenth celebrations were held in churches. Churches. Not politics. Churches. Celebrate when people are free because you yourselves were slaves to sin once and you are now free. Amen? Amen. So while we're celebrating, today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. And I did an informal poll of some of my younger friends and asked how I should open this sermon. And the unanimous decision was that I needed to open with dad jokes. So I, I, hours and hours of research, and I wish I were kidding, to find the dad jokes that I could actually tell in church. Can I get a rim check? Okay, thank you. All right. So I got a few here for you. Uh, if you're ready. Uh, Did you hear about the recent fight on a moving staircase? I guess things really escalated. Okay. My wife told me to take the spider out instead of killing him. We went out, we had coffee. Turns out he's a really nice guy. He's a web designer. Okay, I get it. It's fine. Um, when I was young, and some of you were young, air used to be free at the gas station, and now it's $1.50. You know why? Inflation. I didn't even get one. It's okay. It's all right. I'll let it go. I told my daughter, go to bed. The cows are sleeping in the field. She said, what's that got to do with anything? I said, that means it's pasture bedtime. Yeah, yeah. And what do you call a boomerang that won't come back? A stick. Okay. Wow. Why has no one in the history of the universe heard a pterodactyl go to the bathroom? Because the P is silent. Okay. How can you tell a joke has turned into a dad joke? Don't worry. It's a parent. Okay, that's fine. And finally, yesterday, I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. I'll let you know. And half of you are like, wait, what? What? It's okay. Stephen just left. He's like, no, I'm not even, I'm not, no, that's not happening. See, here's a trick to the dad joke that most of you, if you aren't dads, don't get. We have realized a long time ago that we're probably not going to make you laugh. So we've settled now because we know that we're just getting a response for the groan. So the groan, like, oh, we're like, hey, hey we're still doing something. We're, we're, we're okay. It's the blank stares of silence. Like, that, that's the hardest one to get. Because we want a reaction. That's why we told a joke. Because father's voices have power. They, they have power. They, they do things. And I don't agree with everything that modern psychology would tell us, but I can tell you for certain that those primary relationships, your mother and father, have power over you. And I don't know how you come to this day today, Father's Day, because some of you had 
not such great relationships with your dad. Some of you had fantastic ones. Somebody, some of you still have your dad and some of them are not here anymore. I like to think of fathers in the categories that Henry Cloud gave. He said that the Proverbs reveals there's three types of people in the world. Um, the first one is there are wise people, there are foolish people, and then there are evil people. And most of the people you've met aren't evil. But if you had an evil father, I want you to know that I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It shouldn't have been that way. Most of our experiences with our fathers were somewhere between wise and foolish. And if you're a father, you feel like there's moments you're doing this. Like, I'm really good. And oh, no, 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 that was terrible. That was a bad idea. But a father's voice has power. And I realized this um, when my daughter was born, my first child was born. I'm, I'm taking on all of the things that happen when your first kid is born. Just had kids. You're like the weight of all of it. Yes. Not just the physical or the financial, but for me, the existential, because I had this weight of realizing that my daughter was going to think about God like she thought about me. And I thought, oh man, this is messed up. Like, I am going to totally mess this up because I'm not perfect. I'm going to say things that I don't mean or hurt people. I'm not always going to be on my best behavior. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be selfish because I'm broken. And I'm not like him. And we say this in our common parlance when we're talking to people, you'll hear people say, well, but, you know, nobody's perfect. It's fine. We all make mistakes. It's fine. We dismiss our brokenness. We just make it, well, it's part of the human condition, and it is, but what I want you to realize is that's not the way it was meant to be. It wasn't meant to be like this. And this morning, I'm doing something very different for me. If you know me, I normally uh, just write my own stuff because it's easier for me to kind of talk and work through some things. But this morning, I'm actually preaching a message from someone else, large part of it. Christian author and speaker, uh, Henry Nouwen, wrote a book called The Life of the Beloved. I am literally preaching the first chapter. He also did a video online that you can look up on YouTube called Being the Beloved. I'm preaching most of that, a good chunk of that sermon. And you say, well, why would you do that? I, because if you know me, I don't really listen to people over and over again. I listened to this sermon like seven or eight times already. And it's been sitting in me, in my soul. See, now one was asked in this particular book to describe to people who aren't Christians what Christianity is all about. But you don't get to use all the Christianese language. I was talking to my brother about it yesterday. He goes, yeah, it's kind of weird. We say things in church that people outside are probably like, we were washed in the blood of Jesus. And he's like, that's weird if you've never been to church before. Like, what are they doing at your church? They just pour blood on you when you walk in? What, what exactly happens here? So now I was asked to explain it very simply. And he contends in this book that the fundamental problem isn't just that we're broken. It's that we reject ourselves on a regular basis. We have an ongoing inner argument that rejects us. And we know, hey, we're not good enough. And somebody will say something and we'll be like, yeah, but you don't know me. You don't know my past. You don't know my failures. You don't know my mistakes. You don't know any of that stuff. And if you did, you wouldn't say that, think that, do that, want to be with me. 
We ongoing reject ourselves all the time. And it's an argument we keep having because we can't win. So we try and marshal three types of evidence, he's arguing. Three types of evidence to prove to ourselves, no, 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 I, I am a good person. It is okay. The first one. We tell ourselves, I am what I can do. I am what I can do. Because if I can do good things, I can prove to myself I'm a good person. It's okay. I can do great things and I can do amazing things and I can go out and I can work hard and I can win. Steph Curry just won NBA Finals MVP for the first time after four championships. He is sitting on top of the world the other night with a trophy and a smile from ear to ear. And I thought, I want you to enjoy this moment, man, because next week it won't probably matter that much. Why? Because you are what you do and you got to keep doing it. What happens when you can't do it anymore? What happens when you get old? I used to be able to dunk a basketball. That ain't happening anytime soon. <laughs> what happens when you can't do it anymore? And you sure, you could point to the trophies, but you can't do that stuff anymore. Second thing we use to argue with ourselves, which is now in contending, I am what I have. If I have a lot of stuff, then I'm a good person, then I'm okay. Why? Because if I have a lot of stuff, I must be blessed by God. He must like me. I must be a good person because I have a, I have a lot of kids. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of, not just stuff stuff, but like people, relationships. I have it all. It doesn't last. It goes away. Third thing that now in saying is that we try to convince ourselves saying, I am what other people say about me. What do other people say about me? And they say really good things. And you're like, oh, they're so encouraging and so helpful. But if you've ever spoken in public, you know that one person who's like, that was terrible. You could have 50 people that say it was great. And which one do you remember? Which one do you remember? Right. One person says something bad to you at the beginning of your day ruins your whole day. Your whole day. They didn't even mean it half the time. They didn't even know what they did. Some of you say, well, but if enough people like me and if enough people say good things about me, yeah, um, they're eventually going to turn on you. The Son of God showed up and healed people and they still talked bad about him. Do you think that's not going to happen to you? And even if, and this is the trick, they all say they love you. You're going to look and be like, most of you are lying. Yep. These three things we keep running into. And the problem is, even if you can manage to hold on them for them for a moment, they go like sand through your hands. They're gone. They don't hold up. Which means you have no evidence on a regular basis to convince yourself that something that can overcome that self-rejection that you're constantly dealing with, those accusations, which by the way, the devil loves because he loves just accusing you along with yourself. This is hopeless. There is nothing you're going to ever have, do, or have someone else say that's going to convince you that you are better than you already know deep in your heart that you aren't. So we're stuck. We can't bring anything to the argument ourselves that can actually convince us that we're not 
such a bad person. So what do we do? We, we need another voice. A voice that we can trust. A voice that sits outside of us and knows us. When all hope is lost, we find Jesus. So in this passage that we read this morning, Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And in this moment, it says that the Spirit descends in the form of a dove, and they hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, and most of your versions say, in whom I am well pleased. This is not a great translation. The actual framing in Greek is uh, both complementary and passive. Sounds weird. But it's, this is my beloved son on whom my delight rests. I don't have to convince God to love Jesus. Jesus didn't have to do anything. He was already beloved by God and his favor and his delight rested on Jesus. You're already everything I could ever hoped you would be. I love you. And we hear in this moment this powerful statement from the Father, and, and the thing that we wrestle with is we often say, well, that's cool. He said that about Jesus. That makes sense. But he's not saying that about me. Here's the thing. In John 1, if you read the scriptures, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. The children born not of natural descent or a human decision or a husband will, but born of God. Scriptures also say that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, which means when he looks at you, he sees Jesus and says exactly the same thing to you that he said to Jesus. You are my beloved son or daughter on whom my delight rests. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to prove it. And truthfully, the thing that I wrestle with, because, you know, it sounds like, okay, that, that makes sense, but I never tied, like now one's doing, the fact that the baptism of Jesus is actually directly connected to the temptation of Jesus. See, in your Bibles, it goes 3.16 to the end of the passage, and then it says 4.1, and it says in 4.1, it says, Jesus was led to the desert and tempted. I didn't know or think about the fact that that made it look like it was a separate chapter, a separate story. It's not. They're actually directly connected. See, Jesus is led into the desert to be tempted by the Spirit. If you read it in Mark, it says he was led to be tested by the Spirit. Like, I thought God was a good father. Why was he testing his kids? He led Jesus to the desert to be tested. Jesus is tested in three ways. Ready for him? Turn these stones to bread because if you do, then you'll convince yourself that you're the, goodest, the best person there is. Why? Because I am what I do. Turn it to bread. Jesus, you're hungry. You can do this. Do a miracle. Come on, show up. Show us what you can do. What's Jesus' response? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God the Father. 
What'd he do? He said, God the Father said that I am his beloved son in whom his favor rests, who he delights in. I don't need to prove this to you. Second temptation, second test. If you bow down to me and worship me, I will give you all the kings of the world because then you will be able to prove that you are what you have. You have everything, everything in the world. And here's the thing, there's moments over here where you hear people that are blessed and have a lot of money and you think of them as somehow, hey, God must love them more or something. Sometimes I think they're cursed with it to force them to have everything and realize it means nothing. That all the stuff you think you need, you have, and it would make you happy, will not ever. What did he say? The father says, I am his beloved, and I worship him only and serve him only. I'm about his will, not about what you want. I don't need to prove this to you. Third temptation. Jesus, it says, is taken by the devil to the top of the temple, and the devil says, jump down, and quotes the scripture and says, then the angels will bear you up in their hands, and they'll all know. What you're not, some of you getting is that if Jesus jumps off the top of the temple, this in some ways fulfills some Old Testament prophecy that he would descend from above, like we expect him to now in the second coming, and everybody in Jerusalem would see him because he would descend on Mount Zion, and he must be then the coming king. And Jesus is like, I'm not playing your game. Don't, don't tempt me to do it your way. Why? Because if you come down, everybody will know and they'll all talk well of you. You will be what people say about you. He says, nah, you don't get it. Get away from me. I am the beloved of my father on whom his favor rests and in whom he delights. I don't need to be tempted or tested by the nonsense of the people's voice. Jesus, every single time he's tempted, goes back to what the Father told him about who he was. He didn't try to match the argument and say, well, I can prove this stuff. He simply rested in who the Father told him he was. And he calls you and me to do the same. Now in his argument and contention in this book, which I find fascinating, is that every time, as we studied a couple in, last in the fall, Jesus goes away to solitary places. His contention is that every time he went away, he actually asked God, Father, tell me who I am. Just tell me who I am. You say, why would he do that? Simple. Because he actually had already healed blind people and made them see. Healed lame people and made them walk. Healed deaf people and they could hear. He'd already done stuff. And he said, if I'm not careful, I'm going to wrap up in this. Just tell me who I am. Remind me and help me live in this space. Because that's the battle. He already had disciples. He had a lot of them. And not only that, he had crowds of people. So if you are what you have, he had enough stuff to prove he was something. But just tell me who I am. Remind me about the core of who you made me to be. Why I'm here, what I'm doing. Some of you say, well, didn't he know all the time? Yes, but sometimes he needed the Father's voice. He even could say at some points that they wanted him to make him the king. The people's voices around him were saying, this is the son of David, Hosanna. Look at this guy, he's amazing. And if he listened to the voice of the crowd telling him how great he was, he could easily have thought, oh, I've got it together now, I'm good. 
He kept going away to lonely places. And some people have said, well, how do you know this is true? How, how do you know that that happened? It happened one time to Jesus. Nowen's choice here is Matthew chapter 17 passage that we call the Mount of Transfiguration in which Jesus goes up to a high mountain with three of his disciples. It's the first time they get to get away with him. And on that mountain it says, verse 2, that he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before him Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. This is actually a sacred Hebrew moment, and they're saying we should celebrate with almost like a festival because they put up shelters during specific festivals to celebrate sacred moments. Notice what the verse says next. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love with him, I am well pleased. It's exactly the same wording. Why does God repeat himself? Because he knows how deeply the voice of the Father is when it speaks to your heart and tells you who you are. And it's really hard because some of our fathers were not that. I know that. Some of our fathers didn't speak words like that, and sometimes it was just because they didn't have models that taught us how to speak like that. It wasn't because they didn't love you, it's just because they weren't told they were loved as much either. So I, I struggle with this because I know that as a father, my kids are going to think about God often like they think about me, and I, I don't want to mess that up. So a long time ago, I started a little dialogue with them, which I don't know that I've ever really explained to them, so we'll see what they say. But every couple of years, every couple times a year, I would say this dialogue back and forth. I would say, I love you. I say, you know why I love you? They say, no, why? I said, because you are my son, you are my daughter. Will you ever stop being my son or my daughter? They say, no. Then I will never stop loving you. I may not be proud of you and everything that you do. There may be things that you do that make me angry and there may be moments where I struggle, but I will never stop loving you because you will never stop being my child and I will never stop being your father. are the beloved sons and daughters of God. On you, his favor rests. Some of you say, well, is that everybody? It doesn't really matter. How is that special? I love all of my children, but I have a unique relationship with each one of them. What about people who haven't placed their faith and trust in Jesus? Well, Scripture specifically says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loves them all. But he doesn't see them in Christ yet. And some of you have wrestled with evangelism for a really long time because you think it's about arguing people into the kingdom of God. And I'm here to tell you that it's simply reminding your brothers and sisters out there in the world that they have a home and a father who's waiting with open arms to love them. This isn't hard any more than it is saying it's hard to invite people to your house. 
Really? It's just inviting them to come home. That's all evangelism is. Because some of them have forgotten they have a father. And some of them don't love their father here, so they don't want to go home. Because home isn't always a good place for everyone. Your father loves you. And he wants you to share that love with the people around him. You're going to hear on a regular basis all of these challenges. You are what you do, and you're going to go, okay, I am what I... Wait, that doesn't... I need to get away and re-listen to this voice that tells me I am your beloved. On you, my favor rests. Then I don't need to worry about proving anything to the world. I need to worry about what people say about me. I need to worry about what I can do or can't do. So this morning, as we're wrapping up, I just want to take a moment and honor the fathers in the room. So if you're a father, can you just stand up for me? Yeah, give my hand. And if you're a guy in the room, if you're a guy in the room and you never had kids, either because you chose not to or because you couldn't, can you stand up too? Because I, I got a lot of friends who serve as mentors. Absolutely. Give them a hand, please. I got a lot of friends who don't have kids. I invited my friend Dave here today because he's a mentor to a lot of guys that I know. He doesn't have any kids. But he acts like a father. We need to honor those people. So thank you, Dave. And if you're a young man, can you stand up too? Because someday you're either going to be a father or I'm challenging right now to be a mentor too. Stand up. I tell my boys on a regular basis four things. Four things that I need them to hear. And so I'm saying them to you as fathers and as mentors and as future fathers. Four things that I think you are and you need to grow more and more into. Number one, you are brave. Do you know the kind of courage it takes to raise a person in this world right now? You look around and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Yeah, I don't either. But guess what? We got a God who said, do not be afraid. And I know there's moments where you're afraid and some of you say, well, that means I'm not brave. That's not what it means at all. Some of the bravest people I know, that doesn't mean there's no fear. It just means they kept going. You're brave like Jesus was brave. Number two, you are strong. Do you know that your children will, if they haven't already, think of you as the strongest person in the world? My dad can pick me up with one hand. Now, maybe not anymore. <laughs> I love you, Dad. But when I was 16, I arm wrestled my dad and beat him for the first time. That was an accomplishment. For the record, I just wrestled, wrestled, arm wrestled my 16-year-old and still won. So you still got to beat me there. But you're strong. A strength that endures, even, not physical strength alone, but strength that keeps going. Like Jesus, for the cross set before him, endured everything and kept going. Be strong. Number three, you are kind. It's one thing to be brave, and it's another thing to be strong, but to be kind in the midst of it. 
It doesn't mean nice. Let's be clear to all of your children. It's not nice all the time. Nice and kind are different. Why? Because there's moments I'm going to have to use my dad voice to tell you, you can't do that anymore. But I can be kind. Be patient and looking out for your best interest in ways that communicate to you that I love you, but I'm not going to let this keep happening. Be kind. And lastly, number four, you will do the right thing. You'll do the right thing. You're like, well, I I don't always know what the right thing is. I'm not saying I do either, but you're shooting for it. It's what you're heading toward. And even if you mess up, you're still trying to do the right thing. You are brave. You are strong. You are kind. You will do the right thing. And your father is proud of you. The rest of you can stand. Everybody in this place, stand up. This morning I want to close with a, with a quote from this book by now. And please, if you hear this, you're going to say, that was amazing. I did not write it. I am literally reading it to you. But I'm praying you don't hear it as a quote. I'm praying you hear it as the voice of your father and what he longs to say to you because this quote is pulling passages from Scripture to speak truth to your heart with your father's voice. So if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. And listen to the voice of your father. He wants to tell you. I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have carved you in the palms of my hands and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you with care most intimate, more intimate than that of even your own mother. I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I will go with you. And wherever you rest, I will keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy your hunger and drink that will quench all your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You know me as your own, as I know you as my own. You belong to me and nothing, neither angels nor demons, nor the past failures and hurts or your future success or anything else in all of creation will separate you from my love, my beloved child in whom I delight. And there's moments where we hear things like this and we say, yes, I get that. And we have this check in our head that says, okay, I get it. There's a difference between Greek way of knowing something and a Hebrew way of knowing something. See, in a Greek way of knowing something, our mind can check off a box. My daughter asked me to explain it to her, and I said, it's really simple. You're an artist. If you hold up a paintbrush and a pencil, you could obviously tell me the difference. Yeah, that's a pencil, obviously. But I said, Hebrew ways of knowing are like putting the pen and the pencil and the paintbrush in your hand and closing your eyes, and could you tell me the difference? And she said, yeah, because I know experientially how that feels. 
May you hear those words of your Father deep within your soul, not as words to check off. So as you sing this song, sing this song clearly back to him because this is true of you. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.